So longtime listeners may remember that I always relished in hearing about Matt Ray's international travels, coming in and out of the country, what the experience was. And let me return the favor by talking about our recent international uh, entry and exitry uh, from uh, the States. And so we <laughs> very good. Now, is that like West South or Northwest ne- network traffic? I in never really. Out. Okay, very good. So. Uh, we, of course, I think as is hopefully our new tradition here in the family, uh, went back to Texas uh, for the holidays, as it were. And I remembered Brandon's recommendation of the mobile passport entry. And as he was describing it, it sounded like some sort of like, I don't know, scratch lottery ticket sort of situation. <laughs> but I thought I would like look into it anyways. And I think... Maybe the day of the flight, because, of course, um, you know, being a professional traveler, I booked a flight that was at like 3 p.m. instead of 6.30 a.m. in the morning. Like, here's a pro tip. Especially with kids. Exactly. Like, like I've been trying to remember that uh, that quote from Ferris Bueller where he's talking about the Ferrari. But if you have the means, it is highly recommended that you book a flight in the afternoon. Um, It's very choice. So I had some time to look it up. And, I, and of course, you load up the app. Um, and I don't know about you two, but any time that, like, I've downloaded an app that, like, purports to represent itself as part of a government, I'm always a little suspicious. But then I think, like, oh, Apple's got me handled. It'll no, be fine. See, I, I won't even install it because I'm like... That's just that's asking too much because because let me guess the permissions were like this app would like access to everything like Bluetooth, your network. (laughs) And then you've got to like you take a picture of your passport and all this kind of stuff. So whatever I download, whatever it's called, the uh, the 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 mobile border entry passport fandangle thing. And uh, I enter in all the information, which is fantastic. And then as we're landing and literally where do we go? We went to Philadelphia. So the the flight that we take because we are an American uh, goes Amsterdam to Philadelphia. And as we're walking from our plane to the passport line, which um, just so that our European listeners uh, can feel better about themselves, even as an American with a family entering America is a fucking shit show. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, it's not good. No, we don't have that shit figured out. It's not like. I imagine when you go into uh, the Netherlands, well, even when you go to the Netherlands with the family, if you have an EU passport, a Netherlands passport, or as I do, a um, it, a resident card, it's fine. Like, you still have to go see one of the very uh, in-shape, attractive <laughs> Netherlands border people who are always very nice, unless they give me shit about not speaking Dutch after six years, which they are totally justified in. But, you know, you've been on a long flight and you're just like, can't you just hey, say, man. yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just like, I, I know I'm the fucking idiot. I'm the one who have failed here. I would really like to just go wait 30 to 60 minutes for my luggage with my family and my baby who's losing her shit. Literally. Please let me through. And they always do. Right. But every now and then they ask if I, uh, spreck in Netherlands or whatever. Uh, anyhow, so we get off the plane. We're walking through the interminably long, uh, like, hallways that you have to go through in any American place, except maybe Austin to like go from an international like a plane to getting on American soil or whatever. 
so I'm madly like like tapping on my phone to like say we're here and and taking pictures of people because you have to take pictures of the people when you land in this mobile app for whatever reason. Oh no, which is fine. So I do that. I even sort of like people being your entire family, just my family. Mind. Yes, okay. not uh, just uh, random uh, people. Okay. Go ahead. Uh-huh. And and it works out fine. I get a little bit angry. I've been totally cool to this point, mm-hmm. but I, I'm sort of like stand still. I've got to take a picture of you. We're on the moving walkways. And then we get to the gigantic morass of passport lines. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And of course, I see global entry and I'm like, not today. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> Hello. I I love you so much. And, and I pass it by. When, when do I get my global entry interjection? Mm-hmm. Right. Is, and is and, the time? and then uh, so just to clarify, you're the only one in the family of global entry or just you and your wife. Kids don't have it. Like, what's your situation? Well, well what's the situation? My, my wife, Kim, has to renew her TSA and global entry thing, which is a whole other, a whole well, other podcast in introduction. Uh-huh. But we'll uh-huh. we'll do that next episode. Uh, but yes, I'm the only one with global. OK, entry. so you're stuck with the family. Uh, go ahead. Go on. Continue. So we walk past and I see this terrible line. It's almost like, um, you know some sort of George Romero zombie movie of a bunch of people waiting in line, just like looking to like eat your brains and like whatever. But then I see the sign that's like mobile entry. And so I keep walking and I keep walking and we go up to it and there's even a person there. And I say, is this the, uh, is this the mobile entry line? And they say, yes. And so I go in it and we wait. I feel like 45 seconds. And then we're in front of a passport guard which, um, yeah. Well, to be fair, th- they dress just like the, the the European ones. They've got bulletproof vests. They're in dark clothing. They look like if they needed to kill you, they could do it in about half of a second. And and like, uh, you know, we, I I say, do I need to scan my QR code? And they're like, no, no, you're good, or something like that. And they don't. They want to look at our passports, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they're basically like. He even smiles because I've got my big family. He's like, all right, welcome home. And then we pass through and that's it. It was perfect. Wow. So it really worked out. Good time-saving hack there. So that was, yeah, that, it was okay. amazing. I, I was, I was so shocked that there was no one else in the line. Like, I don't understand. Like, yeah. and well, so what I think, I don't think people don't know it exists. Right. Exactly. I, I, I know this is what I was going to say. They only advertise it inside the airport when you're there. So you have to be traveling more than once a year internationally to, to care. And it's only at a few airports. I think you just happen to stumble in, like, I think it's only four uh, or five. And Philly was, was uh, yeah. one of them. So, because yeah. what you described there was as good as Global Entry, if not that. No, right? no. Global oh. Entry ha- one ups you. 45 global seconds entry. with five kids? Or no, five, not five kids. With a global family Entry. Well, we well, didn't, well, okay, the, the line was 45 seconds. Getting uh-huh. through the thing took mm, okay. four minutes or some four or five minutes or know. something. I think like it's that. pretty yeah. comfortable. All right, it's, Matt, it's, one, tell us about your global entry story. All right. You, you My whole family, we all have global entry. We mm-hmm. walk up to the global entry line. Coming from Sydney, it's it's got a few people in it. Maybe, you know, 45 seconds of waiting. We'll, we'll, we'll give, give you that. You go up, you push a button on the touchscreen, scans your face, and you go through. And then you walk up to the counter and the guy working the counter is just like, uh, Matt Ray, I'm waving my hand. That's it. It didn't even scan my passport. My oh. whole family did that. And uh. in and out, like we did, I, I didn't say anything. I just waved at the guy and you know, didn't have to scan anything other than my face, which they already had on record. And that was that. And it was, you know, literally, you know, a minute. 
but, you know, comparable nice. times, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, have I mean you, ha- you have to imagine those border guards are like, you know what I would rather be doing? Fucking shooting at people than harassing a dad. <laughs> Well, see, this is this right? is the like, punishment like, for the so guys I'm, who are sure the border patrol. Oh, man, I'm sure they enjoy <laughs> like oh, like having this software that like lets all the civilians and all the cool people through, right? And oh, they're yeah. just like, I want to handle the stressful, important situations. I mean, this is like this is what we've learned from like so, so all you, of. You think the stress free line is punishment? The stress free line is punishment. I I mean, so so think about it, right? <laughs> like like. I mean, we've all watched The Wire. You think that you, right? Oh wow! So and, that, and you remember a lot you, about their psychology, right? You go you back to The Wire. Be harassing people. Well, no, no, no. Harassing is is our perspective, right? What they want to be doing is like making sure Power people training. are safe, right? And okay. and like really catching the bad guys. So you go back to The Wire, right? And who are the people they recruit? The people who are like down there in the basement, like building their models. They were a good cop at some point, but now they just got to go like talk to pawn shop people. No one wants to go to talk to pawn shop people, right? Like all of these sort of like people who are in like law enforcement, they actually want to like do something important, not just be like, so did you bring anything back from Amsterdam? Right. Work on something challenging, right? Not do the paperwork. Yeah. Test. Like I, all I, of us. It makes sense. Well, yeah. you know, if nothing else, so it sounds like this is uh if you don't have global entry, then the mobile passport, oh, yeah. I looked it up. It's, oh, it was perfect. Uh, MPC, mobile passport control is the name of the app. So, Hey, if you don't have I, it, you don't have global and you only need it for for one member of your family to cover all five. Well, it sounds like it. You you use the app, right? Just Kote, you're the only one that uh, downloaded the app and you took all the pictures. Right? Yep, I did all the stuff. So, it worked for the entire family. All right, it's 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 pretty it is. good. You know, pretty good hack. All right, I enjoyed it. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah. Well done. Everyone made it over. That's that's fantastic. But it's really thanks to you, Brandon. I uh, I, I appreciate you. Now now speaking of things that people appreciate. Uh, that are challenges and difficult to work on. I was looking over some of your highlights from the uh, Stack Overflow developer survey for 2023. Now, as always, Brandon, uh, you do a tremendous amount of work prepping for the show, and I appreciate it because I don't actually read the sources uh, very commonly. <laughs> and they're, they're very good notes. They, they are. They are. Uh, you're, you're the John Syracuse of uh, show prep. You, you do you. a lot of great we'll work. And, you know, Looking through these charts, so what you see is like sort of um, uh, the the public clouds that people use. Of course, AWS is way up there, and you see Azure and Google. Uh, you know, Azure and Google are, you know, based on my reading of survey stuff, neck and neck. Like you see uh, that whatever percentage of people, uh, you know, twenty six point oh three percentage of people, and congratulations on two decimal points of precision. I think that is just <laughs> fucking fantastic. Um, and I say that as sarcastically as possible. Um, and uh, Azure is 26.03% of people are using that. or And I don't know if this is pick all that apply or pick exclusively, whatever. And then uh, 23.86% are using Google Cloud, which based on my sort of way of thinking about demographics, that's basically the same, right? If you're in like a 5 8% like range, sure. who knows, so right? So the same, yeah, mm-hmm. However, obviously, a 48.62% usage by AWS is far ahead of that. So I think it confirms, as always, every time quarterly numbers come out, it confirms what we know, right? But it it is good to see that there's uh, there's some competition down there below. But the other charts that I looked at, right, that .NET is in high usage, 
and that a lot of people use uh, VS Code or Visual Studio Code uh, and things like that. Like my and and then also people are using GitHub. It brings up yet again this thing that I think that I don't know if that um, uh, what's his name Walter Isaacson, the guy who wrote the Steve Jobs biography and the Elon Musk thing. I don't know if he's available. <laughs> But someone, maybe we can get Ashley Vance, who I think could actually do a better job. Someone needs to write the finally write the story of like, how the fuck did they fix Microsoft? Right? Because this is like every year, it's this phenomenal story that Microsoft has, despite the public cloud stuff that I was uh, just going over, or maybe that actually adds to the point that they could catch up to public cloud this quickly compared to everyone else who is not Amazon or Google, like there is something phenomenal that they have done to get this high in the charts. Not only that, but if you look at the AI technology that people have used, number one, of course, is ChatGPT at 83.24%. Not 2.3, not 2.6, 2.4%. And then Bing AI at 20.6%. Now, my understanding is Bing is basically chat it's gpt same. yeah it's the same one right mm-hmm. so what we're looking at there is basically microsoft dominates more or less a hundred percent of ai that developers use or or a microsoft friendly thing that would be like you know we enjoy the uk not america it's like yes exactly right and like, i do think you you hit on a lot of the the kind of the thing I was picking up on. And just to go back to everyone knows, so this is the Stack Overflow Developer Survey 2023. We'll have obviously a link in the show notes. And it's very long. There are quite a few things, programming languages, databases. So there's lots of stuff in there. Um, Most of the stuff, you know, like especially in the programming languages, databases hasn't changed much. So it's kind of like the usual suspects. But I think, you know, the thing that you hit on, Cote, and that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was kind of reviewing this is that I would say it kind of like broadly this way. The story is AWS owns the infrastructure and mm. Microsoft owns the developer. When you kind of oh, like that's good. Ease yeah. In like totality, it's clear that like, yeah, the infrastructure business isn't going anywhere. And if you really kind of distill AWS into like what it is, it really is infrastructure as a service. But then mm. the thing that really surprised me the most was how high .NET uh, and that's two flavors. That's the five plus and the, all the older versions, uh, how widely they're used. And then, you know, really on the developer side, as you kind of already went over, like this, um, the IDEs, Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio, those dominate as well as the, um, as you just kind of alluded to there, ChatGPT being kind of the preferred, if you will, developer experience. And then GitHub Copilot, I don't know if you went over those numbers. I mean, that is way ahead of any yeah yeah right? exactly. and that's over 54 percent in 0.77 and then um tab nine which i don't know actually i don't know anything about that one but then aws code whisperer is down at uh to cote's like 5.14 percent and so you see this huge d- disparity so i kind of feel like you know if you will it's it's almost like you know aws started at the infrastructure and they're way ahead there and they're working their way up in Microsoft, after kind of to your point, like the story is, I think they sort of missed out on the infrastructure at the beginning and then yeah. they kind of figured it out. Right. And they're like, oh, we got to do this. But they've kind of worked down from sort of the developer and, if you will, the frameworks down into the infrastructure. And now they're kind of meeting right now. It's sort of becoming, you know, Microsoft oh. has a little bit of developer, better developer stuff. AWS has a little bit of infrastructures, but the if you will, the, the competition there is becoming much closer. But I will mm. say it does. I don't know. Like if you had to pick a position, maybe this, you know, Matt, you can, you can take like, 
if you had to pick like where do you want to be at this very moment like it feels like microsoft has the momentum now yeah. you know i don't know mm -hmm. and that momentum can go away quick but it does kind of feel that way what do you think matt i mean it definitely the the other thing that you kind of pass over is the fact that microsoft has decade long relationships with a lot of these enterprises you know they they've been selling them windows they've been selling them various services so it's not like that's this is developer driven this is the developers meeting the you know the uh procurement in between right because they they've already had these relationships so nobody's going to have any you know any friction when they go to micro when they go to procurement and say um we need to give microsoft more money they're like we know right, right. um and so I mean, with the perceived advantages of, of uh, OpenAI and, and Microsoft having 49% stake in that and the enterprise relationship with the developer-led relationship, I'm more optimistic about Azure, about Microsoft and Azure right now than, um, you know, than AWS. But you got to remember, they're still like three times the size of Azure. You know, so it's not like they're, you know, they're hurting for anything. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like what you're making me think is that AWS is like Microsoft in the early 2000s. <laughs> where, 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 where they're, they're just like this assumed platform that everyone uses that's everywhere that is dominant, right? Yeah. And, and it's just sort of like there's nothing to be done about it. It's the default choice. And, yeah. and I, I like what you're saying, Brandon, that there almost is it's i don't know like like anyone who is what's the word like i don't think about developers as consumers or as the people who are interfacing with the front end of a business but in this world of it the developers are the consumers they're like the commercial people so when you talk about for example a cable company of course doesn't like streaming services because they're stealing the customer right? right they're stealing the front end of like what's important and in the way that you're kind of like well what you're making me think brandon is that amazon is being pushed down the stack to be the stupid network the dumb right pipes. just to be yeah. the, the infrastructure or, or the dumb pipes or whatever and that is kind of an interesting intentional or not like whatever it's an interesting like strategic approach for microsoft to be like we used to be all about the infrastructure the operating system the drivers backward compatibility all that nonsense and now we're capturing the uh the customer like we are the front line of mm -hmm. how people interface with all of this it the developers which is, which is where the value is most important right that's the differentiating features. You know, Microsoft is scooping all that up right now, and you know everyone else is playing catch up. Yeah, I do think to go to your point about cable, I think that's a really good analogy. Is that you know the cable companies maybe four or five years ago were like very desperately afraid of like oh everyone's canceling the cable TV side of it. What are we going to do? But if you kind of follow that industry a little bit, they've kind of learned. Many of the cable companies are now okay with it, right? Because they they've kind of figured mm -hmm. out like I can just be the ISP, I can just provide the internet service at a really good value and make the money that way. And if people want to go use YouTube TV or any Netflix or any other streaming services, sure, that it's not the end of the world, right? And sort of in some cases, oh, yeah. they've kind of left the networks like NBC and 
these other people, it's sort of like, hey, this is your problem now. It's like, you know what? Providing this network bandwidth is actually a very profitable business. And we're not going, it, we're not going it, to it, sign uh, deals that aren't good for us on the TV side anymore. Go ahead, Matt. Agreed. But it's also <clears throat> when you're undifferentiated, you're more susceptible to disruption. If, if some mm. other technology can show up, I mean, uh, granted, in the U.S., at least there's like a duopoly pretty much for, for high, high speed carriers. Right. Um, but let's say something comes out of left field where let's say 5g is fast enough and has enough bandwidth to switch all of a sudden, all this dumb pipe is dumbing in the ground and left there to rot because, you know, if someone can switch for cheaper, there's nothing you've done about your service that is compelling for people to stay. Nobody loves spectrum. You know, nobody is like, God, I love my spectrum provider. You know, they, they, they move those zeros and ones better than anybody. You know, they don't, you're just, the only time you think about them is when they're broken. Right. Um, or when they've screwed up some content. Yeah. You know? It's like your toilet. And, and, right? and they're happy to give away the content. So what like, do they I have just, left? I, I'm with you. Listen, I'm with you. But I, th- I think it, what it comes down to charter and spectrum, you know, it's sort of like, well, anyone could dig another uh, trench to this house and offer internet services. And I would welcome it now in my uh, 13th year waiting for Google Fiber to show up. But, and but so you know what? Just, <laughs> yeah. um, one, one of my friends got Google Fiber January I, 2nd. I know. But it's like it's, it's, 13 years later. Even now, even now, it's like one. And then you're going to find out like he's in a special apartment complex. It just happens to be in a. Uh, anyway, but my, my point yeah. is just that, um, you know, the differentiation of it and just, you know, I think this is kind of what these cable companies figured out is like, sure, something could disrupt it. But until then, selling Internet bandwidth is a great. And I think I think AWS is in a similar position. I mean, it's funny, right, because it's like, as you kind of alluded to, it's like, there's massive. This is almost a hundred oh, yeah. billion dollar business, and it's like, sure, someone could come in and displace all of this AWS, and like, and obviously people are going to try. But like, I'm telling you this, not it's this not quarter. going anywhere. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Like, DHH can like move off every piece of things that he's ever had in the cloud, and you know what? Not going to bother AWS one bit. Like, that is a great business. That infrastructure business is going to be there for a long time. But it isn't necessarily going, I think, is they kind of you know, telling the broader tell story, yeah. the developer side, I think they have real challenges on, right? And I think, yeah. you know, it's clear that they're not winning there. And Microsoft is way ahead. And Google, if anything, is sort of the outside, the outsider that seems like could disrupt either end, but they have their own challenges, but they have a great opportunity. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I think... I, I never, uh, I don't have an MBA, so I don't know the term for this. But I think at this point, AWS has whatever this concept is where it may not be the best or the most optimized, which is to say cheapest for what you want option, but kind of like probably all of our cell phone and, um, you know, wireless and also childcare and school plans were just like, I don't have time to figure out if this is a good idea. You're just like, it's working. I have the money to pay for it and I got other shit going on in my life, right? Like if I really wanted to evaluate every single penny that I spent, maybe there would be a better option, but this one's fine. Well, see, and that's that's why AWS is losing AI because right. because mm-hmm. everybody's like, I guess OpenAI is good enough. And right? exactly. I don't have time. Right. 
It's the classic, you know, your strength is your weakness. AWS has said for years, like they solve quote unquote real problems. Customers bring them problems. They figure it out. You know, it's not like the, if, no matter what you want, AWS will eventually give it to you. It's like, oh, you want another database? We got it for you. You want another, you know, w- way to configure things? We got it for you. But no one was walking in saying, I want an LLM, right? That's just sort of the blind spot of that mentality. It's like, that's true. Yeah, you yeah. don't know it. If you, if you are like everything has to be asked for by a customer, you're always going to miss out on these things that people don't know that they need. And I think that's clearly what on there. And the other thing I wanted to bring up too, is just sort of like the mindset is sort of like, you know, as we look at this, the name of this thing, it's developer survey, right? If everything, when you hear AWS people talk about the people that use it, they say it's builder, right? They sort of invent this terminology. It's like the builders. We're doing something for the builders. We're focused in on the builders. And like, as far as I can tell, like no one refers to themselves as a builder in IT. Like if you ask somebody what they do, <laughs> they'll probably say like, I'm a developer. Yeah. Well, I, work I think, I think Australia, I you know, where the, the trades people are tradies here, they're, they're buildings. But they come up with something. Build- like, I just think that this idea. <laughs> of and course it, they are. But it no, does sort not. of like, to me, call back to like AWS has sort of like invented this idea, their own little, if you will, uh, persona, like people that just build stuff, right? They they don't even call yeah. them, you know, and it's like, you're kind of missing out. Like a developer, you know, for better or for worse, there's a certain type of person that is a developer and they identify themselves a certain way and they do not say builder, right? And I just think that's another kind of like, when you just kind of dig into the company, you just kind of miss it. Like Microsoft doesn't say that, right? They talk a lot about developers and developer mm-hmm. tools mm-hmm. and developer IDEs. Like they're very, it's just like, just the simple Architects. language is, is yeah. very important, I think. So it's, you know, it's it's good for us, I guess, in the sense of it's good for the podcast. And I think, you know, we're just going to watch, like, if you will, this collision between the two as Microsoft just continues to come down and see if they can capture more infrastructure and AWS continues to come up and build more development tools. I think that's the story of the next three to five years. It's like, okay, does either one of those companies really encroach on the other's core business in a meaningful way? Well, who grows faster? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> neither one of them are slowing down. I mean, well, they're slowing down, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. But that, that's a good point. It's, does the Microsoft growth rate, does it grow just slightly faster enough with these huge numbers that it would catch up pretty, pretty equal? Like at some point, is the Microsoft cloud business on par with AWS? That'd be a good bet. It'd be an interesting little bet to, to make. It's, it's well, well like, like you know, a- applying <laughs> applying your uh, what what's the formula? And that's it's not yours. It's from somewhere else. But the uh, story plus money equals share price or right. whatever it is. Like that is business strategy wise. The magic of cloud is it's just all fucking computers. <laughs> and so all you're talking about is like changing one word from another, but it's still all computers, right? So like if you're if you're Microsoft you're in computers and you dominate computer spend. Uh, And so what you have to do to increase your share price is just say like, there's this new type of computer. There's, you don't say the word computers. There's this new thing that everyone's moving to. That's a high growth opportunity. That's like this brand new thing called cloud, but we all know it's fucking computers. And so all we're doing is like moving from one computer to another computer and that seems like a brand new whatever thing but all of us technologists are like so i can still ssh into that right <laughs> and and like you get this you build up the story that there's a brand new genuinely new thing but it's still computers and so it gives you this this notion of just like ooh, there's something sizzling going on here something new uh which i think really if you are 
in a position like Microsoft is and increasingly like AWS and um, Google and companies like I work for and all sorts of other places and yourself as well, Brandon, like if you can kind of get that sense of like, we're going to something new and it's, it's whatever, then it drives that story that it's not just computers. Right. And so there's a transition that you go through there. It's, you know, like, like my theory of business is like really in what you do with businesses, there's this like, uh, sort of like pneumatic tube of cash. And what a business has to do is like break a hole in it and stick their hand in there and grab cash. <laughs> so, so, so the internet is indeed a series of tubes. It just, it just happened to be filled with money. Finally, finally that Alaska Senator, I forgot his name. He's been proven right. Well, I think it's worth noting as we kind of maybe transition out of this is just, I did want to mention this one thing I saw this week. It's uh, a blog post that's set out for a while. It's been out for a while, but somebody, if they will, they re-upped it. And it's like coding at Google and it's worth mm. the read. I'd recommend everyone do it. And, what it is is basically a developer um, who gets a job at Google and um, they recount their experiences of doing it for the first time. And these word stuff like uh, words like gobsmacked at the amount of tools and how easy it was to contribute. Right. And it's sort of like we kid Google a lot on the show about like, you know, they're always like closing stuff down and killed by Google and stuff like that. But the one consistent thing I hear is like people go to Google and they're exposed to the development tools at Google. And they are yeah. just so blown away that they even gobsmacked. leave the company, uh, gobsmacked, that they leave the company, try to either rebuild the tools, or they just go back to another company. And even if they left Google for and they didn't like Google, they will come back and tell you how great these development tools are. And it's sort of like, you know, if you will, it's it's like it's all right there, if you will. Large enterprise development, let's call it. I think everyone wants what Google has, but like Google it's either very difficult to like externalize this because it's so customized or Google just hasn't figured it out. But like, there's this thing, like, I, that's why I just always wonder, like, you know, Google may have figured it out. And, then, and just to kind of, you know, I can't like do justice to the entire blog post, but it's just sort of like the experience of um, with something like this. It's like the person shows up for the first day, they're a little intimidated. They're not sure that they even belong at Google. It's kind of how it starts. And like one of the Googlers, I guess, sends them a link of like, Hey, look at the source code. And it's like, everyone can see all the source code in Google. And there's, and they said, and they're like, wow, this is incredible. I can see an ID. And the next thing he says, well, you know, click this button and this button goes through and finds all of the, uh, you know, optimization um, uh, errors that are in there and it recommends fixes it. And so the person says, now push the fix, fix button. And they push the fix button and it says, okay, now submit it. And they submit it. And now, and then like, in a, like, you know, of two hours, four or five hours later, someone's reviewed it and their changes are already in the system and already in production. And it's sort of like, wow, like Google has figured all of this out. Right. And it's sort of, um, if you will, the opportunity just kind of sits out there. It's like, maybe if Google figures this all out. And if we think about mm-hmm. where has Google been spending all of their money, you know, it seems like they have spent an incredible amount of money about figuring out how to make all of this work. All the smartest computer scientists people are working on it. And it's like, wow, that seems like a huge asset that they're just sitting on that may or may not lead to success for them, but it's worth watching. Well, when you, <clears throat> I mean, when, when I read this, my, my takeaway was, this is wonderful. Uh, and it only works if you are in a big enough enterprise that can enforce this on everybody and standardize. And, and it, which, may, you know, I'm, I'm at a fairly small startup and I think, and, you know, I've been at a few startups and every time I go from one to the next, you always have to learn how things are done, how, 
you know, what tools to use, what's the different workflows. Oh, now we're in this language. And, you know, my takeaway from Google was like, well, they, they solve this, but it's not very reproducible because you have to have the ability to instill this on everybody, you know, you to, to make everybody follow, you know, the one true path. And, you know, we have been at shops, you know, Kote and I were at a, an Emacs shop where literally everything was done in Emacs, you know, which as a former VI user. And it was, was great. It was great. <laughs> Eventually it was great, you know, and because everybody could help each other solve, you know, oh, you do it this way. You know, we all had a consistent development flow. You know, meanwhile, um, where I am now, you know, We've got, you know, Visual Studio users, we've got Sublime users, Nano users, VI users, Emacs users, user. Um, and, you know, everybody hits this thing at different ways. We're all using different ID, you know, testing tools. We all have different workflows. We don't even standardize on, you know, using Make the same way. Um, <laughs> or or, or yeah. your problem is you use Make. <laughs> well, maybe that's the problem. But it, it does sound like a utopia. And... That's why companies like, you know, like Microsoft are selling Visual Studio Code Enterprise and, you know, GitHub. And, and you know, they're like, if you followed this workflow, you could have this utopia. And even if you were like all in, it still wouldn't be what Google has, but it would be better than what you probably have. And there are a lot of advantages to standardization, but also like developers don't like standardization. Everybody's a, mm. a special, unique flower. So I, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I mean, I know what we're doing doesn't work, but I know the alternatives don't work either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just a couple of thoughts there. Like, I mean, you may be right. Like, at the end of the day, maybe Google is the only place this could ever happen because they have like infinite money to spend on this stuff, and they made it so good. Because there's a key thing that distinguishes, and this is why I just keep coming back to this: is that it's not like people say like it's pretty good. Like, I mean, this isn't the first blog post or person right. I've heard coming. Like, people come out of Google, they're like. This is the greatest stuff ever. So it's sort of like, I think it's more like they don't have to co convince someone to do it because it's like, wow, I didn't even, it's kind of back. Oh, to I, I'm in. I, I, I totally am in. Yeah. People get to Google, like, I didn't even know to ask for this kind of stuff. I didn't even know right. that this was possible. And so just the fact that like it sits out there and maybe it, it to your point, like it's just one of one, it, you know, it's why Google's going to be great with search and things like that. And it's great. I, I mean, have you ever heard of any other shop that has this? No, I haven't. Nothing, nothing, you know, you, I mean, all the stories you hear about, about, you know, Sun, the heydays of Sun or Apple or, you know, even Microsoft, like, you know, each shop, they might be within, you know, maybe within the, you know, the Windows NT team, they all use the same workflows. But like reading, reading some of the stories coming out of, uh, uh, out of there, you know, the, whatever that journal was, the guy who worked at Microsoft during, during the NT development, it was like, it sounded the same. Like you had fiefdoms of, you know, managers changing style guides and just, you know, crazy stuff happening over and over again. I've never, and, and every enterprise I've seen, you know, there's light adoption of this, which means as a consultant, you come in and you show them, it's easy to make, get big gains. Right. You know, there's but, a lot of well, I think it's worth contrasting this a little bit. There was another post this week that caught my eye. It's uh, by Justin Garrison friend of the Ooh. show i think kote interviewed him a while back but he, yeah. he wrote a post on amazon uh amazon silent stacking which went through silent stacking which went through like a lot of stuff but like the part that i thought was interesting he kind of alludes to you know the quote-unquote two pizza team and the fact that that decentralization at amazon this is his words i'm not listening i don't know i'm not there but he's basically saying that like 
it's causing too much redundancy, right? If every team is an independent team and every team does things yeah. their own way and every team has to build their own pipeline and develop their own tools and stuff like that, you know, it really becomes difficult to maintain that, especially if you're reducing workforce, right? If you can't just, you know, continue to like staff so that every team has their own thing. And I just thought like, it's kind of the old centralization versus decentralization. Like, you know, every, it's, there's always pros and cons, but it struck me this week. It's like, wow, like Google does have this centralization down in a way that it sounds like it's working really, really yeah. well. Right. And today, at least at the moment, we'd say Amazon is sort of having a much more challenging time. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything. So I never want to say something's better or worse, but at the same time, it's like, wow, it does seem like the AWS model um, is sort of, if you will, wilting under some of the the pressure, whereas Google kind of feels a little bit more well positioned from the collaboration standpoint. So it's just like we're going to look at developers uh, and Microsoft, how that goes. I just think of this. I just sort of kind of have a, a constant uh, eye on like, what's Google going to do? Are they going to somehow roll this stuff out? Or you know, and to be fair about it, like you know, it sounds like Google invented LLMs, but you know, they they just didn't put it out there. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> and once now, again, they out. told everybody how to do it. Right. And, and like it's now open eyes figuring out. So maybe someone will leave with all the, the, the secrets of Google and start a company and millions, uh, many people have tried. Um, but it sits out there. It's like, wow, that's a really good use case that Google's figured out. So it'd be fun to watch that. So, so yeah. I, I, I think I've got a few things here. One, uh, have you all ever read that book, The Circle by what's his face? The guy who founded um, McSweeney's. Yeah. And I couldn't finish that book because it was very thick and working in the tech industry. It was kind of the, the movie terrible. Oh, I didn't even know there was a movie, but it was just like, you know, this is like uh, the plumber's problem, right? If you actually work in an industry that someone who is writing about it or making mm -hmm. a story about it, who does not work in the industry, you're just like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> right. However, I read about, let's say, half of it right and obviously what he's writing about the circle is sort of like a google facebook kind of conglomerate right, right. right? Meta. yeah and and so it is despite what i just said i do appreciate this kind of outsider look into the absurdity of our tech world right and based on that the number one thing i think when i was reading through this post that it kind of crystallized in my head is like from now on, when I read about how Google does stuff, the question I have in my mind is that, is it that operating this way has caused them to make billions of dollars in profit every quarter? Right. Or can they operate this way because they make billions of dollars in profit? Exactly. exactly. Right? Like the fact that they all, and and I don't know what really what it means to like, commit your code to mainline that would be a great podcast episode for for me or some of us to do with someone is just like i what does that mean well right the, yeah. and 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 so like the fact that you can do that i don't think that makes them the dominant advertising seller in the world right like that i don't think that has anything to do with that right <clears throat> and that is where all their money comes from so it's sort of like if i had this dominant position in selling whatever it was in my industry, I could be perfect, right? But <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think it's you. Rarely in a business, start with perfection and then reach profit. That's not in the pants gnome like business plan, right? Well, right? what's funny is, is as, as you're saying this, I, I just realized the the other the other company that gets mentioned similar to Google 
with a great developer experience is Facebook. And yes, yeah, that's good. And point. you know what? They've got the same money fountain, right? Yeah. They're they're both sitting on this pro- on this you know. Hey, there's we've got money gushing out of our our, our ears, and you know, we can spend the time to make sure that we have these optimized workflows where I can commit to mainline and have it tested on a cluster of 10,000, you know, before it goes into production across, you know, a billion machines or whatever. Exactly. Um, like the only other example I can really think of is is that. And they have the same chicken and egg problem where you're like, well, were they good because they had, you know, you know a, a money fountain or were they, you know, did they get a money fountain because they were good? And I think... I, I'm leaning towards you know the money solves all the problems, <laughs> right? And 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 I I think what both of us are saying does not discredit the in the oh no um, no we're we're not invalidating the greatness. I mean, this, like, this is like one of the things I stuff. tell my kids. It's like you know the thing about having a lot of money is it makes it easy to make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I mean, right. with, with the rich, you, you know, it's what, always what, the truth. One of my great regrets is that I, I didn't become a millionaire in my twenties, right? <laughs> if only I had done that, it would be, it would be fantastic. And and so, like, I am in no way saying that like any of this is like incorrect or invalid, right? It's just sort of like, but you've got to be in that position where you can have excellence, right? Like, yeah. I was just watching, uh, you know, episode two to four of the fourth season of Sex Education where Agent Scully has a baby. And you can tell it's just like, she's a fantastic sex therapist, her character, right? She's a great, fantastic, she's great. And a doctor and an FBI agent. Exactly, <laughs> like great career. She was also a detective on that good show, solving lots of murder mysteries. But like, if you've got like, a, like I don't know, an eight month old baby, you're fucked, right? Like yeah. you, you do not have this money machine that's piping out things that allows you to focus on like uh, only having mainline commits, right? Now you're doing a good job. You're always, ma- you're making the right point. The causation correlation question is always a good one. And I think maybe to pick out something separate, which is a good uh, way to look at that would be like, well, Google has free lunch, right? And, and everyone talks about how great the food is, but like, I don't think any of us will be like, well, because they have free lunch and they have, and they have the food is really, really good. That's made them successful. It's just sort of like, they have a lot of money and you know, that's an easy kind of perk to give. Um, and so, so that's a good question. I mean, it is kind of like, it's interesting. So maybe for Facebook and for Google, it's sort of like if you are lucky enough to make all of this money um, over, if you will, over investing in your engineering and developer tool is probably not a bad place to spend extra money, right? If nothing else, you can at least continue to make sure you get the releases out quick. Exactly, and exactly. It's, it's like if you can afford the $120 Nike running pants, go for it. How good can you be? Right. Like, like you can right. live your best life. Now, speaking of living your best life and best life and free lunches, there's several conferences coming up before we get to that, though. Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy? We do. I wanted to uh, uh, thank Professor Jeremy for emailing in. He's probably one of our longest uh, time listeners, at least the person who asked for a lot of stickers. So I sent him. <laughs> some, uh, he always uh, is very good about like getting his students stickers and getting other people stickers. So I sent him one. He, he promises to put it in his next uh, Coursera course. So I think if you saw him in a Coursera course, his, his laptop had an STT, SDT sticker on it. Also, uh, Cote, close to you, uh, Roberto, uh, he emailed in and he's an, also an expat in the Netherlands. So I sent him some stickers as well. So there you go. You have a fellow expat over there in the Netherlands. And if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. 
I feel like with a name like Roberto, like you're used to Mediterranean food, something close to food that's good. So I sympathize with you. <laughs> good luck. Uh, so speaking of conferences, uh, we have that conference coming up January 29th, uh, February 1st in Round Rock, which is coming up soon. So if you're not aware of that and you're in the area, you should check that out. Now, I'll be at Configuration Management Camp. Uh, February 5th to 7th. I think I'm giving the first talk on the second day, which is great. That's very flattering that they gave that to me. I'm going to be talking about how uh, it's difficult uh, to like scale change and, uh, you know, change the way people are working in large organizations. Also, there's scale and uh, DevOps Days LA coming up March 14th and 17th. I'll be speaking at DevOps Days LA, uh, which is very nice of them to have me there. There's also KubeCon EU in Paris. Yes. Uh, I, I applied to speak at the platform engineering or something uh, event. They put me on the wait list. It'd be great to be able to speak there. I, I enjoy being on a wait list. It's kind of like, you remember that scene in Beetlejuice where he's sitting there with the guy whose head shrunk? No problem. I can hang out there. It looked pleasant. It probably didn't smell so good. Uh, and also there's DevOps Days Birmingham coming up April 17th and 18th. And, uh, you know, these all look like good conferences. If you've listened this far, you probably would be interested in. And with yes. that, Brandon, what do you recommend this episode? All right, my recommendation this week is the Quick Flip Go Bottle from Stanley. So it's the 24-ounce uh, tumbler that Stanley has. And it's the uh, one that has this nice lid that's uh, very good for travel. So I really like it. I've been on the hunt for one that's good. So I want, if anyone knows of a better travel water, bottle or you know kind of a tumbler you know email in but i also wanted to quickly uh just um say i am fascinated by the rise of the the stanley mm. quencher uh cup it has been just incredible to watch it's now an over 750 million dollar business i put some uh, links in here you can read about it but i want uh the harvard business case study team i want them immediately deployed i want them to parachute in before everyone forgets uh, like what actually happened there? Because the the current theory is they hired a new CEO from Crocs. He did a listening tour. Uh, someone mentioned that they this uh, uh, influencer bought uh, five thousand of uh, these quencher bottles that they were about to discontinue. And he said, "Oh, that's a great idea. We should uh, we should do that." And uh, now they've gone on to grow seven hundred fifty million dollars. I'm almost sure that's not <laughs> what happened, right? And in fact, if you read this article, they go in there and says an employee mentioned to the CEO that this happened, and I'm like, "Surely this isn't what happened." And oh, they didn't name to a Hulu movie near you. It's like, I was it's like say, a, find a this fire. employee, find this employee, because I wish this employee can tell stories. Like I told these people for years. For years that we should do this, and no one would listen to me. So uh, like I, I, I don't believe any of the story, but I, I do uh, see the Stanley Quencher cups all around. My wife has one; she loves it. And now I am uh, not on the the trend, but I still like this Go Bottle. So you know, where, you where's go. your Yeti loyalty? I did. I gave up on it. I don't think a Yeti um, Yeti being an awesome based company that has its own mythical story about two brothers who like to hunt mm. fish that invented coolers. Let me tell you this. Don't buy a Yeti cooler. You don't need a Yeti cooler. What you oh, need ouch. Today, you just need a Costco uh, collapsible cooler. Because if you've ever picked up a Yeti cooler, mm. it's like for hunting. It's super heavy, impossible to move around. You have to put the ice in, then dump it out for everything to stay cold. It is the most impractical, useless device for like regular day-to-day living. But of course, the Yeti tumbler, right? Which that's that's really cool too. I mean, there's yeah. a plenty of those. But now it's the Stanley. So, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, if you know of a better travel bottle, because I know these, this is a travel audience, uh, send it to me right now. I like the quick flip go bottle. I, I feel like the Stanley people like looked over at the Yeti people and they were exactly. like, "Here, hold my beer." 
Oh, totally. <laughs> no, no, no. They said, I will take your beer. Well, that's what I want because I think, too, like there's also a part that no one talks about. There's, there's some kind of subtle, uh, if you will, industrial design to the Yeti cup that I think is unheralded. Like the big handle, it's both functional and it has a certain style. I want that team interviewed. That's what I'm saying. Don't, don't let this go by, Harvard Business Case Study team. You could go in there and tell us the truth. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck with the CEO figured it all out on his listening tour, and we know that's not how that really happened. How did I end up I, with I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I I see Stanley as like a bo- boutique item here in Europe in Amsterdam, and I'm my mind is blown. Right, they've done something over there. So okay, I, I thought I, for you, what we need to do is we need to start the software defined talk Tumblr business. And what we're going to do is I'm going to send you a whole bunch of Stanley cups, and I'm going to send you some nugget ice makers. And what you're going to do is you're going to sell <laughs> the cup, right? And then you're going to have a little shot and be like unlimited water refills here with ice. Perfect. Anytime you want, as long as you come back with our Stanley Cup. I'm like, Europe doesn't drink water. No one over there actually has water. They make you pay for water. You're, the, whole yeah, continent, right. the entire continent is thirsty. This is the this is we could dominate Cote. So we'll talk yeah, about it, after the show. Just like just like while you're on the way to see the Ajax game or Ajax, as we would say, right? Stop by Dauphin Direct. Free water. Bring your Stanley free Cup. Water. And you know what? Also, Cote, we're gonna have this. Another. This is gonna really win everyone over. A free bathroom, a free bathroom restroom. You can use anytime. And oh. <laughs> so nice. We, we will dominate the ice business of Europe. I'm telling you. All, all you have to do is show me that you subscribe to the Software Defined Talk podcast. And, <laughs> or you you have use to get, and you can do that by on your your new Tumblr. Just show us the sticker that's on there. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. yeah. How about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Well, I have uh, succumbed to the Apple default lifestyle once again. Uh, I now have an Apple Watch uh, 9, and so um, and it's pretty good. Take that, Linux people. Nine years, nine versions into it, Matt gets one. He's like, yep, pretty solid. I, well, I you it. know, I love it. A decade I, into the product introduction. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I hadn't planned on getting one, but, you know, I got one uh, for Christmas, and, and here we are. So, uh it's you know it, it's useful. I, I already um, I, the, the best thing so far that I pointed out to uh, to my kids is uh, now I don't have to get my phone out and risk the the phone cameras that they have mm. here in Sydney and in New South Wales. Like they have literally cameras that are looking for people on their phones and their cars because um, ah, it's yes. against the law. So now I just look at my watch and I'm like, skip thirty seconds ahead of my podcast. That's all I ever use my phone in here. And everyone look forward to Matt Ray's recommendation of CarPlay in four years. So there you go. <laughs> when, 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 <laughs> yes, when I buy a, a 20, yeah. 2018 or in 2022 four years, model that upgrades has CarPlay. The used car to a car that has CarPlay. He's going to be like, man, this CarPlay is really good. So I've had it in rentals. It's fine. I'm, I'm predicting that to be the next one. Well, yeah. 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 You'll get there, well, Matt. Congratulations. Well, I'm very, I'm very happy for you, Matt Ray. It is <laughs> congratulations. Well, my recommendation is uh, it's an old recommendation, but uh, uh, now that it's very cold here in Amsterdam, I would even uh, to use the Texas terminology say it's fucking cold, uh, or or just maybe even American. I'm sure we say that everywhere. I want to recommend the Patagonia three in one parka. Again, I've recommended this before, but uh, no matter how cold it is, well. I'm sure there's some amount of cold it is where it doesn't work. But if you put the Patagonia three-in-one parka on, it's you're going to be fine, right? Like, it is very warm. It's very nice. Now, the other thing, 
what does three and one mean? It's a vi- bit of a misnomer. It's <laughs> it should actually be two and one. And I, I honestly have to say, honestly, what does that mean? I'm a bit upset about the Patagonia marketing people because I feel this is disingenuous. Whenever you have a situation like the three-in-one jacket uh, where there are two pieces to it, you have a liner that you can bring out, and this will be your puffy Patagonia jacket without a hood, I should note. The, the hooded puffy jacket is a completely separate product as far as I can tell. It's not three-in-one. No. So, so you have the puffy lining, which you can wear separately, which is fantastic. And you also have the outer shell, which is also fantastic on its own. Now, the three comes from if you zipped them together, you have a third thing, which I would say, fuck that shit. That is not a third thing. It's really two. That's what yeah, it's really, uh, you have two and well, one. One like, plus one is two. But three should be, <laughs> three, should be three separate, self-standing, independent things. But not, it's three kinds of jackets. I know Patagonia marketing. <laughs> I understand your rationale and what you're saying, but I feel I'm missing out on something. Now, regardless of that, the parka that you get from them, despite the cost, and this is where like European American pricing, like you can see where it's fucking insane. I think in America, it costs $699 to get this three in one thing. That's more than a watch. I agree. In Europe, it costs 699 euros plus VAT. Which oh. is insane, right? Wow. I, so it's a lot more. I don't know. How we just moved to someplace where it's not as cold. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing. How, however, here. <laughs> however, for lack of having a Costco where I could buy something similar that was called Kirkland or like whatever other whack brand. Kirkland would be there. the the one plus one plus one. Or better yet, the same exact thing. They just gave it a different name so they could get it into Costco. But go I, gu- I guarantee you, Patagonia would never sell this at Costco. Like oh, yeah. oh, I think you need to. Now yeah. there was there was one Lulu year with too long, my friend. Lulu hold up, hold up, hold up. Just to Lululemon is not Patagonia. I think three years ago they were selling women's linings of the equivalent of the puffy jacket for Patagonia, but they did not have the whole thing. And I remember that as as you would imagine, because I was hmm. like, oh my god, they have Patagonia here, and I'm going to go look through it. Uh, but it was all just like uh, women's size for linings, which is great if if that's what you want to wear. Which is fantastic. However, my whole point in this recommendation is it's totally worth it. If you find yourself being outdoors, as I am a Texan, and you're somewhere where it's actually cold, like for a lot of the year, and it's raining and it's moist, this jacket will save your ass, right? Like it is fantastic. So I recommend that if you're somewhere where it's cold. Now, my other recommendation to have a new one is while I was, uh, you know, the Christmas present that I gave myself so to speak, was the iPhone 15 Pro Max, the big Whoa, one. Now, that's a big lo- long-term listeners may know that um, the last iPhone that I had was a smaller one, the iPhone 11 Mini? Pro, not Max, I guess, <laughs> which actually I, fits in like your, a regular size one. Mm-hmm. It fits in your hand well. It has all of your form factors. But, child model. You know, uh, what is this? Four versions later, I was like, you know, I got to go big again. Because before the 11, I actually did have the giant-sized one, which my daughter now uses. And uh, I have to say, it's a fantastic phone. The videos that it shoots are really good. I have one uh, video, a new one that I recorded since Brandon and I did our business bullshit dictionary thing about, um, what was I talking about? Uh, We should get lunch. 
that was the topic of my video. What that actually means, at least when an American says it. The videos they make are good. And uh, it has, uh, the screen is fantastic. It is a little difficult to use in one hand. But I can put up with that. Now, the the I think the thing that people don't think about with an iPhone, because they don't use it in this way very much, is the speakers on it are fantastic. So you can play music or a podcast and not listen to it in your earphones, and it's great. Like, wow. it's very good quality, uh, which I learned from Sarah Dornsife, if you remember her from Sun. I remember I went to some, uh, she was down there in, on South Congress. We were sitting on her terrace enjoying some uh, tapas or appetizers and some drinks, and she just set down her iPhone, the one with the round corners, maybe a 3G, and we listened to music, and that blew my mind that you could open up your phone and listen to music on it. Anyways, so I recommend that. You should get that, the iPhone 15 Pro Max. It's totally worth it. Now, speaking of that, things that are totally worth it is that the fact that you've listened to this episode to the end. As always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you have uh, not subscribed to it yet, despite listening to this far, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can figure out how to subscribe to it. You can join our Slack channel. We have lots of great conversations going on, as always. And if all you're interested in is getting links to things we've recommended, stuff we've talked about in this episode, a whole host of things we have not talked about, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 449, which feels like some sort of mystical, cosmic, significant number. But I can't really figure out why. Because if you add four and four, that's eight which is one less than nine. I don't know. We should work on that. It's some sort of like, like, uh, like, hmm, I don't know. Save it for the crypto channel. (laughs) Anyhow, if you go to that URL, you can find all the links to our show notes and we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. So as our little, as our little streamers delight thing, it's fucking cold here in Amsterdam. There are many houses that were not, um, built before uh, technologies existed that would keep you warm in winter. And I believe that I live in one of those houses. Oh, we're twins. You know, one day we'll, we'll, get, a, we'll get it all together. I'll know when you're starting and it'll all just work out. But that, no, today, so, today. So, somebody asked me, it's like, do you guys always just talk on top of each other? And it's like, that's the only way I can get a word in edgewise. Yeah, that's part of the, <laughs> not that is part of the podcast.